Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi there and welcome back uh, to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Uh, So today is episode 25 and Kate and I are going to be talking a little bit about the fade effect bias, um, which is something I didn't know anything about um, until quite recently and has definitely, definitely answered a few questions about uh, my sober journey. So um, before we start talking about today's topic, we'll just uh, check in and say hi to each other. So hi, Kate. Hello. How are you doing? Um, Yeah, I'm all right. (laughs) I always go, yeah, I'm all right, and then list everything that's gone wrong in the week, don't I? Um, Apparently, it's going to snow here tonight. So I'm kind of like quite excited, but I don't want the schools to be closed because yesterday the boiler broke in my son's school and my daughter had croup. And um, so in that kind of like, in that really sort of charitable, I'm such a good mum way, I was just really pissed off that they were both at home. (laughs) So it's like, I've already done the weekend. I thought you'd both gone now and gone to school. (laughs) Leave me alone. So yeah, I had a personal space issue, which has now been resolved because they fucked off to school. (laughs) Am I allowed to say that? How are you, Mandy? Let's move on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. We, we don't, the the snow will hit like Paris and the north of France, but we uh, are expecting like a hundred and twenty mile an hour wind. So uh, we're kind of uh, locking down all the furniture and sort of making sure that the house is secure. Um, so yeah, that's enough about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> um, other than that, I'm I'm pretty good. We obviously had a bit of a sensitive weekend. Mm. I had to kind of. Um, do a bit of a hedgehog roll and um, and uh, sort of do a bit of self protection. Um, yeah, I kind of I know that I'm this very much a Gemini. You know that I come across as very super confident and you know quite sure of myself. But like, if you kind of poke the beast, then I I kind of curl up and and rock and cry and go, oh, please like me and be my, be my friend. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I had a bit of that this weekend, but um, today I'm feeling good. I had a, a little message from my uh, uh, one of my BFFs, uh, lifetime sort of best mates, who has been doing Joy January and has been kind of sober curious for about two years, and just sort of said, you know what, I think I'm ready to say to people that I don't drink, and you know I'm I'm really excited to kind of hang out and rant about the. the the uh, alcohol advertising with you so excellent yeah sober army is growing yeah exactly um so fade effect bias let's move on um so i read about this quite recently and basically what to what it is is uh, that negative emotions uh they tend to be forgotten more quickly than um the associated pleasant emotions so essentially in any event or anything that happens or any anything that you do you tend to remember long term the pleasant pleasant side of it than the negative side of it so obviously if we're talking about drinking then as time goes on uh you start to romanticize or Mm. as we often say look at it through rose-tinted glasses 
so or euphoric recall it's called in some circles isn't it so some recovery models which means yeah you remember that it was excellent or even euphoric but yeah Mm. it's just a pleasant yeah yeah so I was sort of reading about this and it had a real kind of uh light bulb moment in my own journey because um what it essentially uh fab as it's called so fade effects bias is more prevalent in um mentally healthy individuals so you're more likely to do the fade effect bias when you're mentally strong um and so that people when they're depressed uh they're more likely to hold on to negative emotions mm. and it's just was this like Okay, so that's what happened to me after a year. So basically, because my uh, mental health got better, mm. you know, those those negative emotions and that that because I did. I mean, I was so fixated on bad things, you know, bad things that I'd done. Why did I do this? Why did that happen when I was eighteen? Why did I say that to that person at that party in you know nineteen ninety seven? Um, and why am I such a bad person, etc. Went through to like, woohoo, my life is brilliant. I'm going to move to the seaside. We're gonna, I'm going to quit my job. Like, um, I feel brilliant. I'm going to run half half marathon, etc. And through all that period, that fade effect bias of how bad my drinking was and how bad drinking was uh, diminished mm. because I was m- more mentally strong and I think this happens to so many people that you kind of like go you do whatever it is sort of six months eight months ten months a year and you go mm. whoa I'm it's so almost like, happy <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna drink again it's almost um, like because you know we were talking about like I find it really interesting like that there's an evolutionary reason for most of what we what how our brain functions right and it's almost like that works really well for general life to be able mm. to have the fade effect bias because otherwise we'd be constantly crippled by some things in the past. But what's incredibly helpful in isn't helpful when it comes to alcohol because if you apply the same principle to alcohol, it's like, oh, actually, it's really useful to remember. It would be, mm. wouldn't it be amazing if you could press a button and then just go, oh, yeah, that's what a hangover feels like, or that was that that shame, and then lock mm. it away again. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think um, that's it. I mean, it's not about like, okay, so that's what's happened. So um, it's more about recognising that 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 will happen at some point on your sober journey. And then it's like, right, you know, you have to be reactive and, and to combat that, you know, um, because I, I definitely, I didn't know. I had no kind of understanding why I went back to drinking and now sort of things like that just go, Oh, right. And, you know, knowing that, that that settles down and you start to forget, um, yeah. right. I mean, there's, there's kind of two things, isn't there to, to think about doing it is having that it, and I guess it depends on what sort of person you are, but it is having that connection to the bad, bad place, mm. but not beating Be yourself up all the time. Yeah. yeah. Like beating yourself up about it. You know, I, I really struggle with the kind of before and after photos. I really struggle with this kind of self you know, beating up shame of your former drinking self. I, I, you know, I think both of us, that's what we try to do 
together mm. is to be looking forward and being really mm. positive and um you i mean you you explain this better than me but it's it's about to do, to do with move away goals and move towards goals isn't yeah. it yeah well I, what what struck me is when you know reading around this subject and then with when i um, you know looking at the coaching um sort of structure and in one of my first sort of seminars they talked about these things and I was sort of like whatever I whatever I learn I go oh I wonder how that fits with sobriety I do mm. I've done that all the way along I find it quite interesting I always map it onto it and go hmm how does that fit and I was like okay that fits kind of that's really really interesting because if you look at it another way, in the early days, you'll move away from goals, the things that you don't want, which are, you know, your goals motivate you, right? So, so yeah, you'll move away from goals that I don't want this. So I don't want the hangover. I don't want to feel shit. I don't want to feel ashamed. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my driving license again or whatever it may be. Those, mm. And that, that would be very immediate, very present, very strong and very, hopefully very motivating. But obviously then you're going to want to have um you don't want to be crippled well for me it would be very very depressing to just have to motivate myself with the stick it's like okay I need the carrot as well here well Mm. I need more of a carrot please and that's like your move towards goals are I actually want I want freedom I want peace of mind I want do you know what I mean I I want to live a happy alcohol free life and I think that during the I think fade effect bias for me happened um you know we both went back to drinking after a year and I think that that first year it was very much about move away from goals and the very the nitty-gritty of getting through each day learning about the trigger times and uh and sort of yeah work working with that but what I hadn't done is then the the work of and oh, I said to you, didn't I, that actually I was like, I'm not going to, in fact, there is what happened because I was like, I'm not going to do anything else. I've just stopped drinking. I don't have to do anything else, which was really nice because I was always on a mission for something. Mm. So I was like, no, I'm not. I don't care about weight. I'm going to eat what I want and I'm going to watch Dallas endlessly, which you know about that. I'm not trying, gonna try to be creative. <laughs> don't care. I'll give not drinking. I'm amazing. I don't have to do anything else. So that was really nice. But then once the fade effect bias and... I'll talk about the hedonic adaptation where what feels good becomes the new normal, which Mm. then then means you seek extra pleasure. And that's a slightly different thing. But I hadn't done the, okay, well, what does my life look like now? How do I create a beautiful alcohol-free life or one that that works alcohol-free in a sustained way? And and I think there's... Because people in year two and year three often just go, you know, they've discovered self-compassion. They've discovered like all of the tools underneath that they needed to work with to just feel so much better about themselves. And the but I think there's that bit in the middle around, you know, it could be that first year. I don't know. It might be different for everyone. um, But for me, around that year one where the fade effect bias has happened, but you've not. So you've you've lost your move away from goals. You've, yeah. you've lost your push factors, but you haven't got your pull factors yet. And that's a really, really wobbly time for people. And that's when it's like, okay, what's what's in the toolkit? What else do we need in the toolkit at this point? Because you're not you're not out of the woods yet. In fact, that's a really tricky time. Yeah, I think you said earlier that it's like, you know, you kind of 
you you can see the gold, but you don't know how to kind of get there, you know. So it's like you don't know why you're running away from this thing anymore and mm. you don't really know where you're running to. Yeah. And it's like it's like building that sort of bucket of filling up that bucket mm. full of happiness and yeah, looking at kind of um of 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 those goals that you want to get to. Um and you know, I mean uh, me with alcohol now I was thinking about this it's like you you couldn't pay me to drink it like I just I have no interest in it but more than that I I don't think about it like it's just not part of my life you know yeah my husband drinks um so I see it like on a Friday and Saturday night um but I, I don't have any kind of emotional response to it at all it's just like I it's kind of dead to me. It doesn't mean anything. But there was a time where those romantic kind of ideas would come back and mm. situations. And I think that that's that fade effect bias. And, you, you know, it's absolutely right that at that moment you you need to be proactive and look at um, those move towards goals. And, you know, we sort of identified them as good nutrition. So, you know, mm. okay, we put down the bag of Haribo at this point and start really kind of trying yeah. to nourish ourselves. <laughs> Do I have to? No, I have actually. I haven't had Haribo for ages, at least a couple of days. <laughs> like self-care, you know, and social support groups, uh, gratitude and stuff like that. Mm. And I thought that, like, especially sort of socially, that definitely resonated with me because it was like, I think you can get sober up until you know, a point on your own. And I was like in France, I mean, I had connection online, but I didn't have a social life sober. Mm. Um, you know, what my sort of mate sort of saying that to me this morning is kind of that thing of like, next time you have a meetup, like, let you know, I, I want to come, like, yeah. I want to chat about it and I want to be involved. And that's, that's that next step of kind of going, mm. right, I'm building a life for myself, which is sober. Um, yeah. Which it, it takes time, doesn't it? Kind of that, it yeah. It's to fill the gap, I suppose. It goes back to what Claire Pooley said when we spoke to her. It's like you've got to find the bits that are missing. Mm. And, and and so the social life, we are social beings. So of course you're going to need some kind of social aspect to it, aren't you? Mm. Um, and that, that sort of brings me on to actually what, what I was going to say about the hedonic adaptation, which is a real fancy like theoretical word to mean just like you get used to stuff Mm. and um and so what happens they they reckon that scientists have said that we have about a baseline pretty much um a you you know a bespoke baseline of happiness we sort of you know you know some people are really on one and some people are are not and um and then we can do certain things we can affect about 20 percent of it i think i said this before and then sometimes this is why like um you know and you, you know you could like you're not amazingly happy for 10 years after your wedding are you you're like mm. you have a lot an amazing day and then that and then it just things go back to normal you get used to things or you know you do a new job and you get used to a bit more income but you're not like endlessly grateful about that that's just becomes a new normal and our, our brains are wired like that and I think if I'm right it's around the dopamine response and how we cope with that so they say what and I think this is really interesting and it goes back to the whole toolkit mm. uh, when you, it they say you can counteract that by um, you can affect your 20% daily by 
actively putting stuff in that makes you feel good so those are those happiness strategies and they say variety it's like variety is the spice of life because you your monkey brain just gets used to if you're just give it having peanuts it's going to get bored so it might need a banana as well <laughs> don't know why this is like a really fun like rubbish example but you know that some of these old adages are really true aren't they it's like variety is the spice of life and it but but i find it interesting that a lot of the old things that we kind of know but we don't really do and maybe we don't take that seriously when we're looking at sobriety and it's like well it doesn't have to be um complicated mm. it can just be a few simple things just to make yourself sort of feel better and a bit of a think about what you want and that can make quite a big difference yeah i think um those things are quite challenging because they it's new isn't it it's new to kind of actually think about what you want and what you like and um you know I guess that's it goes back to that child thing again of like you know kids are just eager to try everything Mm. um not all kids some kids uh, are very reticent to try things and that should be valued too and look at how you kind of react but um we kind of yeah you know certain tools are given to us um like yoga or you know go for a run or whatever but you need to find what works for you and actually maybe something might work for a while but then you get a bit bored and so you need to change it up and like someone was saying to me the other day kind of asked my advice um about trigger at the weekend you know she was like I'm good in the week but I just can't break that kind of Friday night Saturday night trigger and I was like well you know look at it what's it about is it about sort of that like change of for me it was very much about that 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 the mundane of kind of motherhood and more you know sort of work motherhood like the week and then you want that big kind of celebration at the weekend and change and she was like yeah you know I've tried kind of yoga but I just don't I'm not really enjoying sitting with myself right now so I was like well just well listen to that then you know maybe you just need maybe you need to jump around like maybe Mm. you need to sort of have a bit of a party like put on loud music and and move you know maybe that's what your your what you need now kind of thing um but those are I mean it's it's hard to think about all those Mm. things when you've always done the same thing you know I think in the first year I was scared of because so much was tied up with alcohol I had to keep it really, really, really small and very Mm. repetitive and very routine. So if I thought about dancing around the kitchen and putting the music on, I'd think of wine. That would have an Mm. immediate link to wine. So then you have to do it. It's those firsts, isn't it? Well, let's do it Mm. but consciously without wine. Mm. And then that's a neural pathway built. And that's a little connection broken if you're, you know, you're repeating and repeating. But... I think at the beginning, you know, it's those things to introduce slowly, isn't it? Uh, As you as you can, because Mm. if you're like me at the beginning, because everything was so had some tendril connected with alcohol, it was like it was literally I think that's why I, I drank hot chocolate and watched Dallas for a year, because then that didn't have anything to do with alcohol. Yeah. And I did, and then I could save my energy for those odd social occasions when I'd really have to build myself up and really prep myself to kind of, you know, put all those strategies and blog endlessly about it. Um, so, but I think it is that I think 
I think the signals to watch out for you, or if you feel if the fade effect might be happening, fade effect is is that feeling of dissatisfaction of that boredless, mm. bored, restless. It's I saw a blog um, on Soberistas a couple of days ago in this lady was at 90 days and I think she said what do I do now that I don't drink and she was like mm. in that 90 day I remember it and I was I put, took myself back and I thought oh yeah that three month flat line yeah. where you where it's almost like the the early days of sobriety I mirror that up and down and up and down and that almost extreme the drama of drinking and this kind of much gentler kind of way of being made me feel hugely hugely uncomfortable I was like what on earth do I do with that it's like oh I don't recognize that and again I think so if you've got things like that that might be a time to go ah that's the fade effect bias what do I need to put in yeah those those itchy feelings I think yeah Um, absolutely and also to flip it again if that is happening that means that you're recovering Mm. actually that is part of the normal part of the process that's amazing that's not the fade effect bias doesn't happen on day one probably doesn't happen on day seven so that means that you are doing freaking awesome and you're you know you're you're cracking on there you know so yeah 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 good to kind of go yay to the fade effect bias as well yeah (laughs) yeah but yeah i think it and and i guess there there is that kind of i was saying earlier that um What's so great about kind of sciencey books about uh, alcohol or, you know, well-written quitlet books is that you you can go back to them. And I think there's those moments where you're just like, I, mean, I feel like I need to fill up a little bit more mm. about my knowledge on this or I need to sort of look at it from another angle or just like that comfort of going, oh, mm. yeah, I did feel like that. And there was a reason yeah. because alcohol was a chemical doing things to my brain. Yeah. Um, so I do feel justified to not drink it, you know. Um, yeah, I love a bit of science for, for that as well. Um, and I just, because we were looking at today, weren't we? And I read Annie Grace's book um, and I kind of skimmed it first time. And I, and I actually did go in for another skim. Um, but there was a really interesting bit that I had forgotten and it was about um, tests on rats and the, the effect that alcohol... Oh, I know why it was. It was that thing about people... I've, I've read things recently about people saying they feel really weak-willed and why can't mm. I do this? And and this will get tied up with willpower. Um, mm. and, f- and people getting very frustrated when, when you think that your drinking or your inability to meet your goals around it is anything to do with willpower because it just isn't it's got absolutely zero to do with willpower so they were looking at studies on rats where it um um stimulated they could press a button to stimulate your reticular activated system i think it is which Mm -hmm. is um means that the frontal cortex isn't working that's the, the the bit that just goes um makes sense of everything and is reasonable um but the reticular activating system is the bit that alcohol works on. And they felt they found that if rats could press this button, they would it feels so good they would keep pressing it and mm. it override it overrode eating, looking after their young, mating, it like literally overrode everything, and that's what alcohol does. So so those substances work much more strongly on those centres of the brain. 
So, you know, and then there's your poor frontal cortex going, I really don't want to be doing this and I really shouldn't be doing this. But you've got a far stronger thing going on in your brain because you're mm. interacting with a an addictive substance. So, you know, it, it's going to happen and it's not to do with how strong a will you've got. Yeah, and we were talking also about um, Annie Grace and the um, that bit about the conscious and unconscious mind and, you know, that so much of uh, what we do is kind of programmed by our surroundings from the moment we're born, you know, and we have all this blame and shame about drinking. But, you know, just if you take a step outside into the the world, we're surrounded by it Mm. all the time. And, you know, you're fighting against kind of what you've been programmed to to do, you know, mm-hmm. by the society around you. I mean, apparently there's quite a lot in um, the UK at the moment because the end of dry January and um, uh, Lauren, this girl is enough, sent me something this morning saying um, uh, that was on Lorraine, I think it was, or breakfast television. And, um, and the doctor was kind of like, oh, yeah, so, you know, dry January, it's great. You've reset your alcohol um, for six months. So, you know, um, it's brilliant, you know, now sort of you can carry on drinking kind of thing, which is just so unhelpful for everyone and absolute mm. rubbish and you know, from a kind of uh, a non-drinker's sober perspective, it's like, so you've just told people that in six months' time, they're going to be exactly in the same position that they were before they did dry January. So, you know, you've basically given them sort of six months to build up and start drinking and drinking more and drinking more and drinking more and binge drinking, etc., and then be exactly in the same position. And mm. and that's how we're supposed to live our lives because it's so important to keep alcohol in our life mm. rather than going, so, you know, you've done dry January, that's wicked. Let's just, why don't you carry on that? And, mm. and you know, And embrace. that's a doctor saying that. That's <laughs> like the people that yeah. we look to to get our, not just our anecdotal evidence or a, an opinion-based thing, but their hard scientific fact doctors going there and then saying that which is just really shitty actually isn't it yeah how many people go to the doctor and they say Mm. you know sort of say and find that strength to say you know i think i'm drinking too much and they're like well why don't you why don't you moderate and it's just like why don't you just say well alcohol's not that great it's really addictive and it's cancerous and it Mm. makes you read a few bloody books (laughs) how can we find out why don't you just stop doing that and you'll be quite happy without it you know your life won't be miserable you just won't drink alcohol that's all so anyway so we better um finish up so Mm. what's your tip of the day kate tip of the day um yeah okay my tip of the day I was saying to you wasn't I that I was reading some bits about Buddhism this morning Mm -hmm. and before I sound like a bit of a I was going to swear again I'm not going to swear (laughs) the reason I found it is I woke up and I was like oh I'm a bit worried about money so then I was like I was thinking about beads (laughs) so I was like oh I wonder what gemstones are associated with with fork you know with abundance so I started googling that and you were talking about being a Gemini it's like a proper Gemini thing to do it's (laughs) like like magpie let's go look for something shiny first and then 
I um and then that led me onto this site and it and I was reading about um ahimsa which is um non-harming and um just living in a way that you don't harm others and you don't harm yourself and I was just thinking about how well those kind of bits of buddhism fit with well you know with with living well and I think once you get into you know being sober that fits really well because you're you're wanting to live in a way that doesn't hurt you anymore and hurt the people that you love and on sober communities you know we we sh we need to work in a way that we don't criticize each other's you know if we come at something from a slightly different viewpoint that that we're looking after each other and being excellent to one another as bill and ted would say um <laughs> but yeah so so yeah i i'd say i'd say have have a think about ahimsa and how are you using you know does that fit with you and where you're at in your life and does that feel good to you and do you think that there are things that are being you know hurtful that can be avoided or something yeah so that's a bit of a rambling tip for the day sorry about that <laughs> i was just laughing to myself oh, she like, going on the, the, the millennials will just be like what the hell is bill and <laughs> oh yeah but go and watch that's my tip for today go and watch bill and ted's excellent adventure yeah. It's probably massively inappropriate. It probably is, actually. To be honest, but bad. I don't know. I should probably, we should probably caveat don't go, that. Don't watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is my <laughs> tip of the day. Um, tip of the day um, is, oh, read some, read some books. Read some sciencey books. Um, because if you ever had any questions about alcohol and what alcohol is doing to you, when you read it in black and white, it's a very comforting mm. um feeling it's just like ah okay this isn't you know rubbish this is this is actual science you know yeah so yeah yeah reason to love sober reason to love sober um have you got one um reason to love sober I love the fact that we're really struggling to think of any that's a good advert for sobriety isn't yeah. it yeah um yeah. there's just so many Kate I just got to choose one <laughs> that's what it is um reasons to love sober is that I like calling bullshit on things um it it's a very powerful tool to just be seeing stuff and just be going that's that's bullshit <laughs> and I just like using that phrase it makes me feel good and empowered it's just like Nah, I'm not having that. I'm not taking it. It's just you're talking rubbish. So, yeah, mm. being in part of an empowered uh, community. Yeah, yeah. UK. Um, I think the sober sisterhood. I think the people that I love and you know the friends, the connections. I mean, we've so we could think. I sort of feel like I'm recycling old stuff here, but um. Yeah, I mean, we were talking today, weren't we, about, like, you know, I've always been a real girl's girl. And I, know I do feel a little bit sorry for sobros in that I don't know that they've got these vibrant communities. I hope I hope they have a button that I just don't know about them because I'm a, a woman. But, um, yeah, so I, I just think the worldwide movement of recovery and women and feminism is just it, it just all fits together to me and and it feels incredibly empowering to be calling bullshit 
on wine mm. o'clock, mummy drinking, uh, and I feel like it is a it's a feminist issue, and it and that feels. I like the fight, the kind of the the fight of it. I like the the reason, the passion, the the belief in it, and uh, you know, it, it's it's a real thing. You know, it gives meaning, I suppose. So yeah, yeah. All right then. Well, we've come to the end. Um, if you're immediately concerned about your drinking. Um, you reach out for support. Um, you can go to your GP or Alcohol Concern has um, lots of information about agencies of local support that might be available to you. Um, I don't know if we've referenced Mind.org before, but they're a good place, aren't they, as well, if you're feeling mm. very low. Um, so Baristas has an Ask the Doctor anonymous, uh, sorry, confidential and anonymous service. And um, then all the other online communities like She Recovers. Um, yeah, go and get support and um, stay safe. Ha- have a good week and we'll see you next week for more chat. Bye. Bye. Bye.